If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up or turn them on to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're beginning a new series today entitled Live It. We're going to be camping out in Romans 12 for several weeks as we look at really one of the most practical chapters in all the Bible. Uh, Romans 12 just really gets down on the ground level as to what does it look like to live the Christian life. And the first verse in Romans 12 is a familiar one to many. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Every Christmas in our family, there is kind of this moment that occurs at some point uh, where we realize that Christmas is finally over. And for, uh, for Stacy and me this week, it was on the way home Friday night. We had celebrated Christmas with my family over in Fort Worth, and so we're returning back to the house Friday night. And I'm at the stop sign just before you get to the driveway, and I just pause there, and I look at her, and I say, well, we celebrated Christmas. She said, yep, we sure did. And then there was kind of this moment, it's like, all right, now what do we do? Christmas is over. Well, what, what do we do now? Well, Romans 12 begins with one of those now what moments, the word therefore. There are a few points throughout the book of Romans where Paul ends this long series of thought, and then he says this word, therefore. Because of everything that I've said up to this point, therefore, here's how you need to respond. Well, the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has been explaining the gospel. He's been explaining what it means to be saved by grace, what the gospel is all about. And then in chapter 12, he begins with a therefore moment. Because of Christmas, because of the gospel, because of all that Jesus has done for us, therefore, you and I need to live differently. Therefore moments are really a huge part of life. Every now and then, you come to a therefore moment. And how you respond at those therefore moments often defines the direction of your life. You've studied hard. You've passed all of your exams. You've been working and working and working. And now you're sitting there with a cap and gown on. You are about to receive your degree. Now what? You're at a therefore moment. What are you going to do now? You had a storybook romance. It was so sweet, and the way he proposed was just incredible, and he won your heart, and all this happened, and you dated, and you fell in love, and everything's happening, and now you're getting married, and you're standing before the preacher, and he asks you, do you, and he asks him, do you, and you both say, I do, and you are pronounced husband and wife, it's a therefore moment in life, so now what do you do? You've been counting down the weeks. You were so excited whenever you got to tell everybody uh, that, that you were expecting, and you've been counting down the weeks, and you've been waiting for this moment to occur, and now you're holding that little baby in your arms. It's a therefore moment, so 
Now what are you going to do? You've been working hard. You've had career goals in mind. And you can remember all the way back in high school whenever you began to persevere towards this career. And then you got your degree and then you got a job. And now you've received a promotion. And now you're at a point where financial security is here. and, And the entire way that you look at your future is beginning to change. You're at the halfway point in life. And so you're starting to develop different goals for your life. And you've worked hard. And here you are. It's a therefore moment. Now, what are you going to do? You wipe the tears from your face. You go back to the car. You have grief in your heart because you've just laid to rest somebody that you love dearly. It's a therefore moment. Now, what are you going to do? Paul has explained the truths of Christmas. He's explained the truths of Easter If you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, which I encourage you to do, by the time you get to Romans chapter 12, your head is spinning because he has explained theology in a very thorough way. And now we reach this therefore moment. Therefore, since you understand that your salvation is found in Christ, therefore, since the Holy Spirit lives within you as a believer. Therefore, since you as a believer has have a hope that transcends this life, therefore, because your salvation is eternally secure in Christ, because it's not found in you, therefore, because all these things are true, what are you going to do? And Paul essentially tells us, go live it. Live it. He says in verse 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, and here's where I want to zero in right now, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. At Christmas time, we talk about the word incarnation, and we actually discuss this. I broke it down for you last week in the message, the incarnation where Christ comes to dwell among us in flesh. God takes on human form. He takes on flesh. He takes on death. He takes on sin, and he overcomes them all. Well, as a believer, whenever you come to that point of surrender and you place your faith in Christ, we call that in Christianity the salvation point, the salvation moment. As a believer, uh, we embrace this understanding that there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that whenever you become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And the Holy Spirit takes on flesh, takes on sin, takes on death, and he gives you as a believer the power to overcome them all. As a believer in Christ, you are no longer held captive to the chains of sin. Yes, we still live in a sin-stained world, and yes, we still struggle. Sometimes we do those things that we know we should not be doing, but the Holy Spirit lives within us, and he empowers us to live an overcoming life, to live life differently because of him. Well, the Bible tells us that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Most Americans are body conscious. We have an awareness of our bodies. 
And this time of year is a time of year where we start making resolutions. And if you look at the resolutions that people make, most New Year's resolutions really revolve around our physical fitness. And so we make resolutions like, all right, I'm going to run 10 miles a day. I'm going to run uphill because I need to burn off all that eggnog and fudge that I had at Christmas. And so we make these resolutions, and they're, and they're good. I, I encourage you to, to be physically fit and to try to take care of, of your body. But, you know, New Year's resolutions often turn into New Year's good intentions by the time we get to February. And by the time we get to March, a lot of times they're New Year's distant memories by then. So try this on for size as a resolution. How about having a body for God? Now, in saying that, I'm going to take this a little different direction than what most of us think about whenever we think about having a body for God because the Scriptures say, present our bodies as living sacrifices. And so let me talk about three things about having a body for God. Number one, if I have a body for God, I understand that my life is to be a living sacrifice. Now, that word living is key to this because it's connected to the cross. Now, what did Christ do on the cross? He died. He died for our sins. He died as a sacrifice for you and for me. But death could not contain him. He rose again, and so he doesn't call us to die. He has died for us. The the sacrifice has been made. Instead, he calls you and he calls me to be a living sacrifice, to place our lives upon the altar of life as an offering to God. Now, a second thing here. Whenever I have a body for God, I understand that I ultimately live my life for an audience of one. In everything that I do, in everything that I am, I seek to please my God. Now, this can really revolutionize your life right here. In your attitude, in your actions, in the words that you speak, in how you treat people, in every area of your life, from your work to your school uh, to how you manage your money, every area of your life, seek to live in a way that honors God. You live for an audience of one. How many of you today are a little bit exhausted after having celebrated Christmas? Anybody a little bit exhausted today after celebrating Christmas? Whenever you stand up here on the Sunday after Christmas, you can tell that people are a little tired on the Sunday after Christmas. Well, let me tell you how to be even more exhausted than you already are. Here's how you can be more exhausted. Live your life always trying to live up to everybody's expectations. Just spend your life always trying to measure up and live up to everybody else's expectations, and I promise you, you will be exhausted because what happens is people give you a list and they say, okay, here's my list of expectations for you, and you go out and you try to fulfill it, and you come back to them and you say, hey, I did it. Everything that you expected, I fulfilled, and they say to you, good, while you were out fulfilling that list, I've made a new list, and here you go. Go at it again, and you spend your entire life on this treadmill just trying 
trying to live up to everybody else's expectations. Now, I'm not saying be rude to people and don't care about others' feelings or, or don't, don't serve other people, but what I am saying is that you have to learn to live your life for an audience of one and understand that when you pillow your, your head at night, your conscience has to be clear between you and God, and to the very best of your ability during the course of that day, you have sought to honor God in every relationship and every action and every attitude. You've tried to be His. You've devoted yourself totally to Him. A third thing about having a body for God is that I begin to see uh, worship as a foundation in life. The Scriptures say this is your spiritual act of worship. And so when my body has been devoted to God, then worship is not simply something that I attend and then I leave. But worship is a foundational aspect of my life. It's how I live. Everything about my life is somehow connected to worship of God. Well, verse 2 continues with these words. Do not be conformed to this age but instead be transformed. How am I going to be transformed? By the renewing of my mind. And then there's a conclusion. So that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Have you ever had somebody play mind games with you? You ever had somebody play mind games with you? How did it make you feel? How does it make you feel whenever somebody tries to play mind games with you? A lot of people these days are trying to play mind games with you. They're trying to control how you think. When it comes to the area of politics, there's people on the the left and there's people on the right that want to control how you think. Whenever you read a news story these days, one of the first things you have to do is look at what news outlet it comes from. Because generally, the news outlet is going to try to shape your thinking, either to be conservative or to be more liberal, because they're trying to shape your thinking into a thought process. If you go to movies, if you uh, listen to music, if you read books, if you watch TV shows, if you're, if you're careful and studious here, you'll, you'll notice that almost always there is an underlying theme, and, and beneath the basic plot, there's generally some underlying theme to the, to the art that is designed to shape your thinking. Advertisers spend billions of dollars to try to get you to conform to a mindset, to a mindset that says, I have to keep up. I have to spend, spend, spend. I have to look like this. I have to think like this. I have to uh, spend my energies here because they want you to conform. The Bible says, though, do not be conformed to this age. Instead, be transformed. Here's one of the things that I love about being a Christian. I I love this about Christianity, and that is that God doesn't call me to be like everybody else. God doesn't call me simply to conform to the age. In fact, he calls me to be a, a transformer. God's call is not a call to conformity. It's a call to transformation. 
when everybody else shapes your thinking, you'll eventually conform and become just like everybody else. But when God shapes your thinking, that's when your life has the power to truly produce change. The way to become a transformer rather than merely a conformer is to think differently. And the way that you think differently is to become spiritually minded rather than earthly minded. That's, that's what Paul's getting at there in those verses, that we have to learn to think spiritually minded rather than earthly minded. That theme runs all through Paul's letters, that instead of thinking of life simply in terms of uh, I'm here in a temporal existence and things are consumed and eventually my life is consumed, you start thinking of your life in an eternal way and understand that your life is connected to eternal purposes and that your life uh, has hope and meaning because of, of all of that. And it begins to transform how you see life and it begins to change the way that you think. And eventually you start learning to think more spiritually minded. So let me talk to you practically about four ways that you can become more spiritually minded. Now I find that people have been in church sometimes for many, many years and they've never yet really become spiritually minded. So wherever you are on this journey, we can all learn to think more spiritually. Well, the first way that you become more spiritually minded is to tune in to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives believers. He indwells you. He speaks to you. He guides you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a counselor who will help you. He will shape your thoughts. He will guide you throughout life. He will give you power to overcome sin. Now, as Baptists, we tend to be people of the book, and we tend to often gravitate to more of the cognitive, the more of the written aspects of Christianity, and sometimes we push away from the idea of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid that somebody might call us charismatic or something like that, and so we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is key to you and I becoming more spiritually minded. Secondly, communicate with God. Prayer is simply communication with God. Spend time in prayer. How often do you have prayer in your life right now? Not just before the meal, but how often are you really communicating with God? Now, I've found in American Christianity, we talk about prayer a lot, but we actually don't pray very much. And I think a lot of times it's because we have this competitive mindset when it comes to prayer. That prayer is about me convincing God to do what I want him to do. And so when God doesn't do things exactly according to our script, we say to ourselves, well, prayer doesn't work for me. Maybe it works for somebody else, but it doesn't work for me. And in the process, we've missed the whole point of prayer. Yes, God says, bring the desires of your heart to me. But beyond simply giving a list to God, prayer is about spending time with God, talking to Him, communicating with Him, letting Him shape us and change us and grow, uh, grow us as people. As you communicate with God more and more, you learn to become more spiritually minded. A third thing you can do, read the Bible. Read what God has said. Do you have a point in your day where you sit down and you read the Bible? 
I found that a lot of us, we spend much more time reading websites, reading the news, reading different things, and not reading the Bible. We're coming up on a new year. I want to challenge you to do this. Read the Bible through in 2015. Read it from Genesis to Revelation. Read the entire Bible in 2015. You'll need to read about three chapters a day to read the Bible through. But you will become more spiritually minded whenever you read what God has said. And then a fourth thing you can do. Hang out with spiritually minded people. Be a part of the church. Have friends in your life that are spiritually minded. And as you hang out with them, spend time with them, they will challenge you and help you grow to be a more spiritually minded person yourself. You say, okay, Lash, here's what I'm hearing you say so far. So far I've heard you say that, that I need to have a therefore resolution. That as I go forward in life, I'm supposed to use my body for God and I'm supposed to think differently. So I'm tracking with you. It's the new year. I believe what God has said here in the chapter. So I'm going to do this. Uh, in fact, I'm going to set a reminder right here. Siri, uh, uh, remind me to use my body for God and think differently every day at 8 a.m. And I'm going to schedule that and I'm going to use willpower, and through sheer willpower, I'm going to get this done. And I can promise you this, if you just try to to do behavioral modification and say, I'm going to try harder to do better next year, you're going to fail. Christianity is not grounded in the power of you. It's grounded in the power of God. Christianity is a story of grace. It's not a story of works. The grace of God makes all things new. The grace of God puts me onto a path where my life can be good and pleasing to God. The grace of God is what empowers me through His Spirit to live life differently. Now, this part of Christianity is counterintuitive particularly in America. We think change in life begins with an inner decision of the will. Christianity teaches that life change begins with an inner surrendering of the will. I lay my will down and I surrender to God's will for me. That's where true spiritual change begins to take place. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it gets into the will of God. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now three things I want you to notice about the will of God. Number one, I want you to notice that it's good. The will of God is good. Sometimes I think we're actually afraid of the will of God because we're afraid it's going to make us do something that we don't want to do. If I go down, if I follow the will of God in my life, he's going to, he's going to make me go to the jungles of Africa and be a, be a missionary or something like that. Or if I, if I follow the will of God, then I'm going to have to give up this or I can't do this and I'm not going to have any more fun anymore. But I want you to understand that the will of God is good. There is delight 
in the will of God. There is joy in the will of God. Sometimes we've never even tasted what it's like to truly have the delight of God in our lives and experience the goodness of God's love flowing in us. Over Christmas, I was trying to get Karis to try some new foods. She identified, I think, seven vegetables that she liked. So I was like, okay, Karis, you've got to get to 10 by Christmas. So, so we were trying to identify new foods, and so uh, I came across fudge, which I know is not a vegetable. You don't have to educate me on that. But I was like, okay, Karis, have you ever tried fudge? Well, immediately she thought vegetable in her mind. So she's like, no, I do not want fudge. I was like, hey, you're missing out on life right here. Okay, you've got to try fudge. No, Daddy, no, don't make me try fudge. Finally, I'm like, eat it, kid. So she like takes a bite of it, and she's like, where's this been all my life? This is incredible. That's sometimes how it is with, with the will of God. We're like pushing against it. Lord, no, I don't want this. And God's like, it's good. Just try it. And whenever we really jump in and experience his goodness, we're like, this is what I've been wanting The scriptures say that God's will is good. And then it also says it's pleasing or or satisfying. Most of life is a continual pursuit of cravings that are never satisfied because we spend our lives pursuing temporal cravings. And so we spend countless hours pursuing these things. We chase after sex, money, food, power, experiences, and we have this appetite for all of these things. And as soon as we achieve, we're hungry again, and we continue to pursue them. And many people spend their entire lives pursuing these temporal things, and they never really have a satisfaction in their soul that goes beyond, I just hope for a better tomorrow. The way to be continually unsatisfied is to live your life continually chasing unsatisfying things. But whenever you surrender to grace... And God begins doing His work within you and you understand that you are who you are because of Him. There's a lasting satisfaction that comes with it. God brings something to your life that goes beyond your life, that connects your life to something that's eternal, that connects your life to something that has true purpose, to something that has deep, deep joy. And it's pleasing Thirdly, God's will is perfect. You drill down into that word, it means complete, mature, lacking nothing, brought to its end. And I just want to remind you this morning that there's a reason for your life. There's a reason that you take up space and take in air. You are not an accident. As Christians, we believe that life is a gift from our Creator and that life is precious because it comes from our God, and your life is not an accident. God is writing a story with your life, and God's story is so much better than the stories that we write. I find that a lot of people uh, get angry at God, and a lot of times the reason why they get angry at God is because they've written the story for their life, and then whenever their story uh, uh, doesn't go the way that they planned it, they blame God. And what they fail to realize is that if you surrender to the story that God is writing for your life, you'll, you'll realize that His story is so much better than your story. 
His story goes so far beyond uh, what you can envision and uses your one and only life in ways that you could never even script. But here's one of the biggest changes that we have to digest, and that is that in God's story for my life, I'm not the star of the show. In God's story for my life, He's the star. And instead of Instead of him revolving around my life, my life revolves around him. And he's writing a story with my life that only he can write. And he's using my life in ways that he could only envision. And it goes so far beyond what I could write. And he's able to take my heartaches and he's able to take my failures and my disappointments. And he's able to take all of that and he's able to use it in a graceful way for his glory. That's a perfect will that I want to be a part of. I think of what Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, where it says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's got a reason for you. There's things that he has equipped you with and experiences that he has brought to your life that he can use for your glory when you surrender to his will. So there we were, sitting at the stop sign. I paused just a little bit longer, not because I was trying to hack off the person behind me who had been tailgating me, but I paused just a little bit longer and looked out across the neighborhood, and the Christmas lights were still on. The rain was falling gently, and so they were flickering in the rain. I had this moment, just me and my bride. There you go. Another Christmas in the books. We've celebrated, haven't we? Yep. It's been a great month, hasn't it? Yep. Well, what now? Because of all this stuff that we've learned about Jesus, all this stuff that we've celebrated about Jesus, therefore, what now? Well, why don't we go live it? Let's live it. Would you bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? John's going to come and sing a song over the congregation today. And I just want to invite you. This is is the last Sunday of 2014. And as you go into the new year, I want to give you a moment to pray and to think. If, If you're a writer, feel free to write out thoughts that you might have resolutions that you might feel led to make. However the Holy Spirit leads you, just spend these next few moments abiding with God and thinking about how the days ahead are going to look as you live for Him, seeking His mind, seeking His will. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You for this truth from Scripture. Help us, Lord, to present our lives as living sacrifices. May they be holy, acceptable to you. May we realize that worship is so much more than what we often think. May our entire life be an act of worship. May you use your life, use our lives for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.